your hands together for the late morning program with your host, Nam Ross. Hey, what's up? What's up? <laughs> I'm not gonna shake your hand because I'm sick. I'm also sick. This is the sick podcast. The sick podcast with um, Nam Ross. Anyways. Jay Jagannath Prabhu, you don't you don't need any introduction, but um, thanks for coming on, even though you're sick. Yeah, I'm glad, grateful to be here. Although I'm a little concerned about my level of coherency. That's now, okay. When you're a little sick, you get wooshy wooshy. Yeah, yeah. No, I hear you. Um, well, anyways, thanks to all our viewers and listeners for listening today. Um, today's uh, today's podcast is gonna be an interesting one yeah it was a little i definitely had um apprehensions about coming on today for several reasons okay uh we can get into that for sure okay um but i just want to say um you were the first podcast that we ever did i was so grateful to be back here and i don't want to sound arrogant because it just doesn't look good <laughs> especially when you're trying to build followers but uh <laughs> i think i had like the most views <laughs> no, that's meant to be a joke but yeah um no but you were up there for sure i mean people love what you said and you know it was really nice it was great i really um we got off to a good start <coughs> you know looking back at the podcast you could tell we were a little nervous and then as yeah. we got into it we felt comfortable definitely was, definitely yeah that was that, that was, was a good way to kick off this the start of this excellent idea of yours oh thank you um yeah, so how you how have you been lately? Um busy. I serve at the Bhakti Center and there's no dearth of service there. Nice. And um I've been really focused on developing men's Sangha in the Bhakti Center and around. I have a started a men's support group dealing with um you know, men's issues that we know what they are and nice. Maybe, maybe we can have a podcast about that in the future. Of course, definitely. Um we'll change shirts and do it after this. <laughs> <laughs> speaking of shirts like my throwback what is is that ragu that's ragu no oh my, shelter. God, my wow. brother-in-law gave it to me really like, i don't know how much it's worth but <laughs> i'm sure people are sweating it yeah um, i also started i, I kind of like became officially the head of the uh, kind of like the ashram really because we got a few new men moving into the ashram and i'm kind of already unofficially the big brother of the ashram nice so kind of made it more official nice so that nice. comes with a whole set of responsibilities and also responsible for helping develop the wisdom path of the bhagavad so super busy and yeah very grateful for that also wow that's really good i think i think when you get a certain age then you like have to take care of people yeah i yeah definitely. there's that need that I, I that's i definitely felt that way being a father and stuff like i feel like this is what i'm meant to do like definitely. i'm meant to like take care of my family you know definitely especially for those who aren't married then their business is to give back to the society mm. providing spiritual knowledge and this is another way it can be done if for persons who are coming into the ashram and you take care of them totally yeah. and act like a you know act like a father a big yeah. brother like that it's definitely really important so let's get into it. Let's not dilly-dally anymore. <laughs> so this podcast is going to be about LGBT issues in ISKCON. Yes. Um, originally, I said homosexuality in ISKCON, and someone corrected me. You know, I should use the better phrase, the whatever to use for it. And I was like, okay, I'll use that then. Um, I think that's a minor thing, but whatever. Yes, yes, it's a minor thing for sure. But uh, 
the, let's talk about a, a few reasons why I wanted to do this and why you agreed to yes. do this. I think that's most important because there were a lot of, well, I wouldn't say a lot, but there were mixed feelings about whether or not we should do the subject matter. Yes, yes. What angle of vision were we going to be taking? I think that was a concern. Yes. Are we just in it for the clickbait or the politics? That's definitely it? not why I'm in Let's yeah. make that, let's get that straight with people, okay? Right I, I, I don't need to do this podcast. There's no reason for me to do it. I... I don't care to do things like this, like to make myself famous or whatever it is. I, I do this to help people, and I help, I do this to like open up conversations with people that mm. that maybe uh, you know topics that people don't discuss. Right. And um and I think it's helpful. Definitely, it would be interesting if you could share it with me. Um, the you had mentioned to me there was a Bakhtin Richter program that you had attended. <laughs> And during that program, the topic of homosexuality came up and there were certain what we'll call as old school views. Yes. Which doesn't mean they're wrong or anything, but just in sort of old school view presentation of it, which was a little bit perhaps um, I don't know, disturbing or concerning maybe for Tulsa or... <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, um, and that brought you to me the next day and like jai i want to do a podcast on this so yes. if you could share sure 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 yeah thank you it was spoken or definitely um so i was at a program um and one it was kind of an open question program with a senior vaishnav in our community and uh the topic of homosexuality came up and they said well, how do they fit in iskon mm. and i was like oh man here we go and i was like look, looking at tulsi as well mm. um so the devotee who i have the utmost respect for and right. love very much uh who comes from a certain time mm. a certain age mm. old age older time said everything by the book right. what Prabhupada says in the in, in the bhagavatam which doesn't at all the age doesn't discount anything that's being said also just throwing that out there exactly yeah. thank you thank right. you yeah but just just that the what was said is coming from a certain time period right. and stuff um so um what was said was basically you know it's 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 a choice and it's um it's something wrong with someone and it's um it's unnatural blah blah, blah. uh which may or may not be true according to the bhagavatam but um it was kind of said where it's like they should just kind of give it up and and join the rest of us regularly <laughs> Like, stop. Become normal. <laughs> Become normal. Give it up. It's like if you're drinking coffee or something. Like, please give up coffee and join the rest of the devotees who aren't drinking coffee. <laughs> so this alarmed me to a certain extent. But I, I'm the type of person is like, I don't, I'm not, I don't, I'm not confrontational in like a group of devotees. Like, right. but Tulsi, <laughs> but Tulsi was like, hold on a second. <laughs> And I was like, just, just let it go, let it go. Like, and um, she was asking more. She she wasn't rude or anything, but she was just asking more deeper questions about it. And the devotee wasn't able to really answer them satisfactorily. Um, so then I was just like, and all the other devotees who were in the air, in the group who were like newer and stuff, they were just like su super confused, <laughs> like more and more confused. Were they young? Uh, relatively young like okay. like had just come around five ten years and okay. family young families and stuff are they i guess i meant were they young in age because that also makes a difference 
some of them were because those of us who are younger we've kind of been socialized in a different in, in a particular way that makes us let's say more accepting yes of these yes. sorts of things and the older generation was not socialized in the same way some of them were that younger makes, yeah that makes it some of them were younger and they were like whenever tulsi was saying something they were like yeah what about right, that what exactly. about that yeah right. so you know and, and she and and uh, the older devotees older meaning like maybe a little 10 year, 10 years older than us right they were just like kind of confused and didn't really know what to think anyways um but then that prompted me the next day to be like hey jay we have to do a podcast right. on this topic because right. it's like let's let's talk facts what did Prabhupada actually say what did he how did he act as a you know there was like you were saying his acharya mm. his acharya um kind of persona and his like person persona right. um so that's what kind of prompted me and i thought you know and i and i know in recent times like devotees have said you know do you really want to talk about this right. like do you want to get into this right and th let's hear like what you thought when someone was like listen you know you know where angels fear to tread you know the fools rush in where angels fear to tread kind of thing like that's why no one's ever talked about this no senior right. devotees talk about this so much right iskan has not made any formal statement on this subject right. yeah i think <clears throat> well for starters just in case anyone's curious the reason why nam came to me for i think for, for two reasons reason number one is i i have same sex attraction reason right. number two is which you knew about and as friends and then reason number two is i'm viewed as having a certain level of um shastric competency exactly also you've discussed this stuff before i've, I've seen on facebook and things yeah, like briefly that. of Bri course i haven't gotten too much into this particular subject matter right. but so that was why you felt <clears throat> you wanted to come to me for those particular reasons i yes. think what i like to say on the outset one thing i want to establish because i may be using this language later on is that there tends to be a first party second party and third party perspective on these issues and what i mean by first party perspective is someone has same-sex attraction so they they're having that experience and on a very visceral level the second party perspective is they don't have that attraction or that particular conditioning but there's someone who's very dear to them is having that conditioning and this second party perspective can also include those who are kind of politically informed in a certain way and by empathy they kind of identify with the what is viewed as now the downtrodden or victim class of persons and therefore they want to be the voice for the voiceless mm. they kind of also fall into this second party perspective these first party and second party persons because for them it's it's very subjective or emotional and so their their vision of the subject matter tends to be primarily or often informed by a lot of emotion emotional attachment the ego ahankara vimudatma we're kind of attached in that particular way and then you have what I call as a third-party perspective where you don't have that particular psychological conditioning, nor are you having anyone dear to you like that. And therefore, you're, you're very... I, and there's a certain sense of objectivity to that perspective because you're not emotionally invested in any relationship or have yourself having that experience. And also, the perspectives of such third-party persons can also come off as callous. I can imagine that, you know, this devotee who was speaking at the Bhakti Riksha was such a person with a third party perspective. Definitely. And definitely. therefore, there's maybe a certain level of objectivity, at least in their mind, mm. and kind of no emotional investment. So they just say, lay it down. This is what Prabhupada said. This is what it is. Bas. Um, so 
I, most of the conversation, and this is all happening in the conventional realm. So there's a first or second party perspective kind of versus this third party perspective and the two clash on a regular basis. I feel that we have also what I would call as a fourth party perspective or uh, we can use the word Turiya. I don't, this word Turiya comes up in our literature is oftentimes referred to the transcendence. Mm. There's the world of three dimensions or the world of the three modes and then there's the Turiya. Mm. fourth dimension which is the transcendence which is krishna so there's a fourth party perspective also and trying to let me just move this like that okay yeah. and trying to understand these particular issues um and the fourth party perspective is more a shash basically based on shastra mm. that it has to be for devotees it has to be the primary um and yeah the primary what's the word i'm looking element that informs our view on these subject matters and how are we to deal with those subject matters in a healthy way for our present devotees i feel when it comes to this conversation that turiya or that fourth party perspective is not so much considered and i think there are reasons for that also um one reason we'll get into this later is that our sh the shashas that we deal with at least are mostly silent about this particular issue mm. they're not like you know say some of the middle eastern traditions and their literatures which have very um, um, what's the word? Fatal <laughs> suggestions <laughs> for what you should do with persons with this sort of conditioning. Yikes, um, yeah. The Bhagavatam is Srimad Bhagavatam Purana Amalam Yabhishtavadnam Priyam. It is Amala Purana. It is dealing with pure subject matter. Mm. And they're not so much concerned with the mundane world, such as the world of sexuality, isn't a preoccupation at all of the Srimad Bhagavatam. And so we, because the Bhagavatam is the primary source of authority for whatever we speak and the direction of our life, if you have a scripture that's mostly silent about an issue, you can't really speak authoritatively about it. Yeah. But you can present our certain in intuitions based on the general principles that you've understood from the Bhagavatam. But it would be a little bit hard to present something authoritative because the Shastra that you... that informs your authority is silent on the issue so for that reason devotees don't normally take a well at least my observation of it a fourth dimension or fourth person perspective on these issues they're, they're either on one side or the other and then it, this fighting goes on incessantly and doesn't stop mm -hmm. so um anyway i wanted to throw it out there because this might be a language that i will use in the future first party second party third party did you make that up yeah, I, I mean, I kind of just in my Brilliant. thinking about it. It's good. I think it's good to break it up like that. Yeah. So just to answer your question, though, how did I feel about getting these sort of mixed feelings, some of which were being directly sent to me? Yes. Um, yeah, I was I was like, I understood where they were coming from. And primarily where they're coming from is that let's talk about Krishna consciousness. You know, why mm -hmm. we have to talk about these issues. One of the comments that were made, which was very true, is that these are relative issues by nature being relative. They're inconclusive. They're always changing. Yes. And therefore, I don't think the purpose of this podcast is to present something conclusive. Um, so, uh, um, yeah, it's not to present something conclusive, but mm -hmm. rather to just open up a conversation. And why is such a conversation important for our community? I don't know. I don't want to exalt it to like this is being very important for our community right. but it's important enough because we do have devotees in our movement who are sincere who live a lifestyle of devotion and not the gay lifestyle because that's another thing that comes up with this sort of subject matter as soon as you say gay it's immediately conflated with a lifestyle mm. the, the gay lifestyle which is i you know more or less as it is presented to the public not a very nice lifestyle just to say it nicely 
you know, there, I may use other words in the future, so brace yourself. <laughs> but the, the two are often conflated and not realizing that the two are actually separate. So you can have a certain psychological conditioning where you have a lifestyle of a devotee. And so here are devotees in our movement with that psychology. And I'm thinking specifically of young persons, many of whom I know, um, who have to, they feel obliged to dissimulate their, that psychology because they feel that there's no place for them. You know, there's a, a certain shame around, around just being conditioned that way. It doesn't mean you don't even have to do anything. Like on a personal level, I've never had a relationship of any kind. Mm. But that didn't stop the bullies from kicking my ass when, when I was growing up. You didn't have to do anything. Just that if they had the intuition that you had that psychology, that was enough to be isolated from the community. Like, right. you're the weirdo, you're not one of us, and so on. So the importance of the conversation in this sense is that this is an actual swabhava or upadi that does come up. It's not just a choice mm. as such. I don't think anyone would be so foolish as to make a choice that would ostracize them or alienate them. Um, cause them to feel shame up to the point of wanting to commit suicide. No one chooses that mm -hmm. uh, if they can help it. Right. But if they're actually psychologically wired that way, then there's a certain psychological inevitability that comes with that wiring. <laughs> and if that's, if that's shamed and ridiculed and so on, then such devotees, I'm talking about devotees in our movement, will be alienated from the general mass of devotees. They'll probably live in like seclusion or alienate themselves. And then that either leads to them leaving Christian consciousness mm -hmm. or it may lead them to having others trying other unhealthy approaches like, okay, I'm going to try marrying a woman or marrying a man as it were, if it's the other way around, mm -hmm. which could be a strategy. But in my observation, that's not a strategy that's worked well for those that I know who have tried that. Yeah, right. Not only do you ruin, perhaps ruin your own life, but you ruin the lives of your wife who didn't know she has to come home and find out something crazy mm. or if you have children so that may not be but then you're forcing people into these strategies that may not work because they're deemed not fit or not good enough to just exist in the way that they're conditioned and just from there make spiritual advancement and yes improve. yeah so for that reason the conversation becomes important and if anything for devotees who already have their stance this way or that way because that was a comment that was made mm. so you're not going to change your opinion that's true and nor are we looking to change the opinion of anyone in that sense mm. but we could at least offer perhaps a palliative to those devotees you know which are probably more in number than we think that who have to dissimulate their identity because of fear or whatever it might be this conversation could be the beginning of one that offers a plea like there is a place for me um just on the basis of scripture there is a place for me in exactly christian consciousness and i don't want to convey that those who have a third-party perspective don't convey that but just in my own personal experience that those who have a third-party perspective aren't always good at conveying that mm. with the sort of rhetoric that they use um they usually tend to convey something that makes one feel alienated or isolated and like hopeless and useless and yeah there's a number of I, i've heard of a number of devotees who have wanted to you know either take initiation or do service or something and approaching some managers or senior devotees yeah, and the devotee the senior devotee is not able to give good answers or yeah. not being able to accommodate them i've uh, had that experience not on a personal level but in chicago there was um a gay couple that started coming mm. and they were inspired by a particular leader that would regularly come to chicago so they started following for regular principles 
Chinese 16 rounds. They were like really getting into the Krishna conscious format. Yeah. And they went to this senior devotee that they were inspired by. And, you know, they wanted to talk about this particular issue because mm. it obviously impacted them. Like, what does that mean for initiation? And, yeah. And that senior devotee just didn't want to talk about it whatsoever, like at all. Uh, well, ha, ha, what just said no. i don't want to talk about it like literally said i don't want to talk about it wow. and the end that was just the end of it and then wow this this um couple well one came to me and they were asking like well i went to this devotee and i said well what did they say they said i don't want to talk about it and i was like okay did they say anything further after that <laughs> <laughs> he said nope that was the end of the conversation i was like wow that's it's kind of tough yeah. And at the time, that particular devotee didn't, you know, think much of it. Of course, later on, they just ended up leaving, going back to really know, some other lifestyle. Yeah, they. And I don't say I don't want to convey the idea that they left because of that particular exchange, but that right. basically, it, uh, I mean, it, it communicated that there isn't really a space for me in the Hare Krishna moment. So I remember kind of giving a voice to these devotees. I mailed this devotee personally. I personally, and maybe this is something I would like to bring up later on, I'll bring it up now. I personally don't think it's wise or prudent to build your self-worth around your identity. Um, you know, I'm gay or I'm straight, that, this foolishness in my view. Um, building your identity around what you're attracted to sexually is not a, it's a pretty base, like below the belt way of identifying. And it's kind of reductive, you know, the soul is much more glorious in this body so just by thinking you're the body, you've already reduced yourself to a bag of plush urine and stool. And then within that category, you reduce yourself further. It just yeah. doesn't seem very wise. So on a personal level, I've never had like what, what is now the coming out story. You mm. know, you, if you go to YouTube, you can type in coming out stories. And you have all these really the beautiful, sad music in the background. The, it was... <laughs> <laughs> I don't really identify really? with that. Oh yeah, there's, I didn't know that. They, so it's like a very popular, you know, you should come out. There should be representation, so that you you can help give voice to other people. And don't get me wrong, I see the value in that. For again, even like this conversation is one such a similar sort of thing, giving voice to maybe. Yeah. So I, I get that, but I don't see it as being prudent to build your identity around that. Mm. Uh, you build your identity around, especially as a devotee, around your Krishna consciousness. You build your self-worth around being a devotee of Krishna. Yeah. That is the, you know, the secret of all secrets in the Bhagavad Gita. You build your identity around that. For, on a personal level, I wanted to build my identity around being a kirtaniya, being um, someone who's really into Shastra, someone who really yes. likes Bhagavatam. And, by and large, most people know me like that as someone mm. who's into Bible, not just as the gay devotee, you know, oh, that's mm. just the gay devotee, you know, mm. and then you can be kind of dismissed on those, those bases. So anyway, the reason I say all of that is to say that it wasn't like people knew exactly, and there may be some people had an intuition, but most people didn't know because I didn't build my identity around that. So I had, to, I mailed this senior devotee and was like, well, I had a few questions for them. What if this couple is sincere? They're chanting, you know, 16 rounds, falling for regs. You know, they're viable members of the community yeah. uh, as far as our basic standards of Christian consciousness is concerned. You know, will they be allowed to give classes in the future as they're learning more? Will they be allowed to go on the altar and, and, and cook? And, you know, like these sorts of questions I was asking. Yeah. And the answer was just like this, like, deafening silence, like... 
like you know and then and, and, and you kind of and then during the course of the conversation it was just like yeah i don't really know if that's if that's even wise and and i kind of get that side of the story also because if you say yes then it appears that you're advocating for something that Prabhupada seemed to be deliberately against so you can't just say yes but if you say no you look like a jerk like because it's like they're following all the basic standards of yeah. anyone else and you're saying no just because they're conditioned a particular way so it's like okay i won't say anything but i don't know if that would be wise that was sort of so i was like well ta-da <laughs> you know i remember mally the senior devotee and it was like you could kind of see this like kind of like a oh shit moment <laughs> like um okay well let's just adjourn this conversation like we'll not look over there <laughs> so i remember trying to represent and not represent so much but i guess give voice to these devotees yeah and, um i did the best i could of course but it's a, it's a complicated issue as far as our community is concerned like imagine that happy that's just one experience that you've had yeah. like this probably going on in many places as we grow in in our society right. and bring in more you know people and distribute books and do programs right. and stuff you're going to come across this again and again dear senior devotees again, you will again. come across this again so we need to understand what you know is going to be said to these people what the policy is blah 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 right. so, you know if any, if any gbc or any managers are watching this podcast or he or listening to this podcast we should start discussing this yeah and i i had after this exchange with this devotee um i was later on invited to a small group of devotees who were trying to come out with an official statement with how to view this particular issue really i don't think it came out i don't know of any such official what kind of statement. group of devotees I'm like the, uh, if I say the positions, then it would become obvious. But GB, some of them were, G, one, it was headed by a GBC. That, that's huge. Yeah, that, that's that's, huge. that's big. Yeah, it was headed by a GBC and then three other devotees who were, I guess, selected by the GBC to come out with an official statement. Wow. About, it, I don't think it ever came out, but <clears throat> when I was brought on temporarily, I was literally on for two weeks and I was just like, oh, this is not my thing, I'm out. Because it, it was kind of like, we respect all souls we say souls are not there by like kind of the the rhetoric that we would give as devotees which made like perfect sense and yeah. it creates a sort of sense of like whatever inclusivity and acceptance and so on mm. and then at the very end but you know marriage is between a man and a woman and it was like a few of those statements which by the way i agree with and we can get to that later we'll get to that after. yeah and 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 the concluding statement was just like like we accept you but still you know there isn't that much place for you like that's at least experientially that's kind of um what i remember it being conveyed to me so i i remember objecting to i was like this doesn't seem and i wrote my objections to these devotees yeah and they were like yeah we have to look at this and that was that that was kind of the end of that so um it, it's important obviously our devotees don't have a clarity our devotees means our leaders who would have to deal with things like initiation all these things in the future don't seem to have at least a unified voice i think individuals have a certain clarity about it for sure hmm. but don't have a unified voice of how we to look at this as a community and um and so okay fine but then that does leave a whole sector of your constituency bewildered and especially it's one thing if there's like a section of your constituent who's joining from outside in hmm. they've kind of already probably dealt, dealt with a lot of the the hard work of like 
self-worth and acceptance. They probably have a whole support system, maybe or maybe not, of persons who accept them and they're coming in. When we're talking about devotees who are born in the movement and they have to come upon such a discovery themselves, mm. then for them, it's like, where is the place for me? Mm. And, and it seems that it would be prudent for the society to come up with some level of clarity for how we might communicate this. I have my suggestions that um, I, I could offer in the future. Let's step back a little. And yeah. for those who don't know, because I know a lot of devote, young devotees listen to this and watch this, they might not be aware of what Srila Prabhupada has said. And, and right. I think that's um, a point of where kind of devotees who who say certain things about the subject they say well Prabhupada said this and right. he's wrote that and this right. so i know you're you know you're very shastric and everything so let's unpack that a little yeah i i have a few points about that mm -hmm. i think um <clears throat> so he writes about it in the bhagavatam he writes about it in one place in the bhagavatam one place one place okay um and then the rest of the statements that you can find are either from letters or maybe room conversations or morning walks right okay um so it'd be prudent to go what he writes in the Bhagavatam first. Right, because because why? Because Shastra is the base of our authority. As Prabhupada himself writes, you can check it out in CC, Madhya Lila, chapter 20, verse number 352, the purport. Mm -hmm. I like to bring up this purport. You gotta have your Prabhupada sets in. Right. Prabhupada says that, he quotes Narottam Das Thakur, saying Guru Sadhu Shastra is the basis of our authority. Mm -hmm. And then he says, but Shastra is the center for all. That a guru is to be accepted as genuine if he speaks the Shastra. And the sadhu is to be accepted as genuine if he speaks the Shastra. He says, both guru and sadhu, then he just kind of underscores that both guru and sadhu are to be accepted if they speak Shastra. But unfortunately, Prabhupada writes, people do not quote the Shastra. Really? Yeah, that's a very interesting really like purport um, So Shastra is really the first place that you want to start with an issue like this. And also, when you say Prabhupada said, it, you know, there's the there's the kind of um, levels of of the authority of of basically, okay, the books are the you know kind of like the guideline, and that's like kind of set in stone. It was course, meant for everyone to read, yeah. and it was meant for all, you know time and place exactly and, uh, but then when you get into letters right and you get into conversations right. those are just certain people right. at a certain time right with a certain context a certain right situation. so it's easy to cherry pick letters right. and conversations right. Prabhupada said this about women right. Prabhupada said this about right. black people he said this about right. you know this whatever of course with this particular issue and others like it because of the level of consistency of Prabhupada's thoughts if you look at any letter where this has come up he has a very consistent thread of thoughts. That's good. So That's then, clean. Right. Then it becomes like, okay, Prabhupada had this feeling or this thought about right. this particular Okay. Thing. So I just wanted to say that before yeah. you get into it. Yes. Still, having said that, our Pramanam Tattva is that the Bhagavatam is the authority for our thinking and yes. our action. And so whatever you're going to, if you're trying to present a subject matter authoritatively, then you have to make reference to the Bhagavatam. Mm. So that's where you find the first kind of dilemma in a, in a sense, because as I mentioned earlier, that the Bhagavatam itself is silent on these types of issues for the most part. Um, it is Amala Purana, it deals with the pure subject matter. Vedyam Vastavam Atra Vastu Shivadam Mulanam. It deals with the Veda. Um, um, Vastava Veda, the truly abiding substance, mm. Vastava Vastu, as opposed to the Avastava Vastu, which is the material world of Maya, which also exists, but it exists here 
is here today and gone tomorrow. So the Bhav Thomas Vasava Vastu is dealing with that particular substance, which is Shiva Dham. It gives Prema and Tapatraya Umudanam. It removes the threefold miseries. So that's what the Bhav Thomas is squarely focused on. Dharma Projita Kaitava Atar Paramonirma Sananam It deals with the Paradharma. All cheating religion has been kicked out of this. So if you don't like that, this ain't your book. You know, Bob Tom is just being very upfront with you. And to kick it out, to kick out Kaitava Dharma is to um, is to say that we're gonna criticize it like a lot. Hmm. So if you don't like to hear that, if you're one of those guys that's like to hear everything is beautiful and everything is equal, then you ain't gonna like this book. <laughs> so this is where the this is the first kind of Say, Sorry. dilemma that you're, you encounter is that because the Bhagavatam is so squarely focused on the Vasava Vastu, the truly abiding substance, the eternal reality, it's not caring about these sorts of issues at all. Mm. Which I imagine, I don't know, I have never read the Vedas, but I imagine some of this stuff might come in the Vedic literatures, which deals with three modes of nature. Like Krishna says in the Gita, what is that? Try Gunya Vishaya Veda Nista Gunya Bavarjuna. something. I have um, I had some flashcards I've been reading. Oh really? Yeah, Ashlokas okay. flashcards. So I can like quote something and be like, Look <laughs> So most of the literatures of the Vedas deal with the three modes the three gunas right so i imagine that certainly certain subject matters would probably come up in those literatures but krishna in the context of which his verse is appearing also krishna is speaking about the vedic literatures that kind of deal deals with the conventional world pejoratively you know, um, so Krishna is actually kind of disparaging those literatures and telling Arjuna, Bhavarjuna, you come up to the transcendental literatures. Right. I mean, and so in the, the Bhagavatam is the Nigamakaputuru Galitam Palam, the topmost of all the Vedic, the, the cream of the Vedic literatures. So saying all that, the point is to say that their concern is not with the mundane world, certainly not the mundane world of sexuality, which is very just base and mundane. Yes. And therefore, you wouldn't expect to find much about that in the Bible time, and indeed you don't. It's, it's quite silent on that issue. Having, and therefore, you can't really quote the Bible time to establish the authority. Having said that, on the other hand, the, it's obvious what Vedanta thinks about sex life generically. And from that generic understanding of how the Vedas or Vedanta view sex life, you can understand how they would view something like homosexuality. And so when devotees have certain strong statements about it, for me, it kind of makes sense. Just following the general, and you know, if you know what Vedanta says about sex life, it being a, the rope that ties you to the world of the gunas. Right. Janasha Moho Yama Meti. What's the, how's the first time I go? Pum Sastriya? Maitunri Bhava Metad. Toyomita Hridaya Granti Ahu. And then Hridaya Granti, yeah. So with that, even with that, you can intuit how they would view something like homosexuality, at least the, the sexual part of homosexuality. And I'll get to that later. Mm. It's not going to be very positive. It's, it's already sex itself is binding, but at least in a heterosexual template, your sex life can be used as yagya for the society and for the Supreme Lord, whereas something outside of that context is not even possible. So therefore, when devotees come down a little bit harsh, especially about the sex part of homosexuality, it kind of makes sense. And so the devotees with a first or second party perspective, they kind of, they should appreciate Vedanta's view on sex life. It's like, this is very problematic, just generically speaking. 
and then want to speak of this on the one hand. Okay, having said all these things, yes. Prabhupada, um, so the Bhagavatam is silent on the issue. So there's one section in the Bhagavatam that's talking about the Visarga. There are 10 subject matters of the Bhagavatam. Um, Sarga means the primary creation. Visarga means the creation done by Lord Brahma. Mm. So there's a section in the Bhagavatam that's describing Visarga, the creation done by Lord Brahma. Right. And in one of them, he creates these asuras, basically, these demons, I think from his back or something. You remember? Mm, anyway, yeah. I got the verse right here. Yep. So um, here's a verse. So it says, Lord Brahma approaching the Lord addressed him thus. So he creates these asuras, I think, from his backside. And then be they begin chasing him for sex life. Mm hmm. So Brahma takes off running, <laughs> naturally. <laughs> oh my God! <laughs> and you know, I guess they're gaining pace on him or something. So he, he he prays to the Supreme Lord, right? And so he offers this prayer: "My Lord, please protect me from these sinful demons, who were created by me under your order. They are infuriated by an appetite for sex and have come to attack me." So Prabhupada writes here, this is the only statement that you'll find in the Bhagavatam where this is coming up, as far as I know, at least. Uh, it, it appears here. Uh, sorry. Uh, this is 3rd uh, Canto, yeah. chapter 20, verse number 26. 32026, 20, or yeah. whoever's interested. Right. So Prabhupada writes here, um, and no unclear language. Mm -hmm. well, well, it appears here. That already makes it a little bit funny. But it appears here that the homosexual appetite of males... Which is interesting because they're saying LGBT, but this is only um, Parpa saying males. Mm. So it kind of discludes the ladies out there who may be having with um, same-sex attraction. It appears here that the homosexual appetite of males for each other is created in this episode of the creation of the demons by Brahma. In other words, the homosexual appetite of a man for another man is demonic and is not for any same male in the ordinary course of life hmm. so how does someone like me or someone who's having same-sex attraction how do how do they process something like this well probably very poorly <laughs> yeah in the beginning especially again if you don't have a fourth party perspective and you're very much centered in your first person second person perspectives then you're gonna have a hard time with this yeah. i never had a hard time with this at all but um hmm. i could see how someone might who's really attached to their Upadi and the sort of perspectives that meaning, come with that what's attachment. What's the meaning of upadi? Upadi means like a false designation, the designation right. of the body. Yeah. Um, or I, I may use another word also, swabhava, a certain conditioning, psychological conditioning. You know, heterosexual. I, I've been using this word conditioning, and I know some people are like, you make it sound like we have a disease. <laughs> psychological conditioning heterosexuality is also a psychological conditioning right and homosexuality is also so um for those of you who are concerned about you're making it sound like a disease it, you know it is a disease it is a disease of identifying with a material body mm. also called as asmita or avidya or maya just to be frank it's all illusion but or swabhava and these swabhava they're very difficult to give up i on my instagram urban stage deliberates just in case anyone wants to know. We'll, we'll, get, you, we'll yeah. get you after. I'm joking. Yeah. So on um, John and V and I, 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 in this context, I think it's okay. We, we did a little, um, I was inspired to use this little thumb piano thing. Mm -hmm. A kalimba it's called, or anyway. And um, we were singing these prayers of Kalia. Um, Kalia offers, offers prayers to Krishna. Yeah. Um, after he gets that butt whooping, um, his wives first offer prayers at first they're like yeah kill him you know we don't need him hmm. and then they say wait a minute how does he get the mercy of christian's feet 
on his head. So they're like, wait a minute, he must be a great Vaishnava who's done amazing austerities. So they pray for him and Krishna releases Kali and then Kali offers his own prayers. Hmm. And I really, I've always liked these prayers so much. I just, I can relate to it. But in the first of the prayers, the theme of the whole prayers is like this. Vayam Kala Sohopatya Tamasa Dhirgamanava. So he says, from our very birth, Sohopatya, from the very beginning of our birth, Tamasa Dhirgamanava, we, Vayam, we the snakes, are Tamasa, in the mode of ignorance, Dhirgamanava, and um, enraged by like anger and envy. Swabhava Dusta Jonata. Oh Lord, it is very difficult to give up the Swabhava, right? Like, you know, Swabhava or Upadi, these falsehoods, it's very difficult to give it up. Loka Nam Yarasagraha, by which one identifies with Asat, the material energy. Um, so whether you're having this psychological or that, it's very, very difficult to give that up. Um, no matter how much you criticize, you can be shamed. Like Prabhupada said some pretty savage things when it comes about, when it comes to talking about like genitalia. You know, and it's just in urinal, and you know all the statements we've heard it many times as brahmacharis as well. Mm. That didn't stop nobody from being attracted, and right. <laughs> to say it frankly, because the swabhava acts very powerfully, and the prayers of Kali are really expressed. I really liked those prayers. Oh, it's really nice. So, um, so anyway, when you have that conditioning, it's there. So here you have Prabhupada saying that this is the homosexual appetite of a man for another man is demonic, and it's not for any sane man in the ordinary course of life. So how does someone who identifies with that swabhava very intimately to process something like this? Yeah. If you don't have a fourth party perspective, the perspective of the scripture, then you're going to probably have a hard time with this because of the emotions that are tied to that upadi and, and your identification with it. For me, when I was reading it, I think on the one hand, for the third party persons who were really like, you know, who kind of feel invigorated to like mention something like this in this sort of conversation like ha 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 said here yeah. and it's in the Bhagavatam yeah. is to say A the section of the Bhagavatam is not a commentary about homosexuality yeah. it's talking about the Visarga for, and later on just to, I don't want to pro problematize Prabhupada's statement but Prabhupada says it appears here well I'm like why does he say it appears because later on Brahma discards this body and the body becomes the twilight and the twilight is imagined to be a woman by these demonic sons of his. Ah. So it's the twilight was not actually a woman. It was just a twilight, but it was imagined to be a woman by the, the, uh, the Asuras that he created. Uh -huh. So if they were homosexuals in the way that we think of the term today, then why were they imagining the twilight as a as a woman right and if you read Prabhupada's future purports on this subject matter he's just talking about sex life in, in a very broad sense and how this the sexual appetite um is very degrading if you read the future comments right. so this it appears for me it seems like Prabhupada it appears because later on the twilight is not a man they don't imagine it in a man they mm. imagine it in a woman so the subject matter is not homosexuality the word for homosexual does not come up anywhere Prabhupada has mentioned this point here but he doesn't quote any scripture to underscore his point about you know, homosexuality being demonic, that doesn't mean it's wrong. And I want to get to that side also. Mm. But just for the, I'm, if I'm speaking to the person with a third party perspective, it, I just like, you have to have that appreciation that the subject matter is not homosexuality. This passage is not a commentary on homosexuality. The word for homosexual doesn't appear anywhere. The twilight that they saw later on was imagined to be a woman. So they certainly weren't homosexuals in a generic sense. So you can't really quote this as 
an authority of the Bhagavatam dealing with the subject matter comprehensively. Even if somehow or other you want to imagine this as being the subject matter of homosexuality, it's hardly dealing with it comprehensively. Like for example, suppose I just tell you that your way of being is demonic. Okay? That like, fine, I can't, but that's not a, comp where does it come from? And more importantly, what do I do with it? It's there. Hmm. That's not all discussed in this section about because that's not the subject matter of the Bhagavatam in this section. Right. Nevertheless, to our first and second party persons, I think it should also be appreciated that Parapa's statement in its own right, for, at least to me, makes perfect sense. Like, I I never thought that it didn't make sense. And in the sense of what is the demon in the video, of course, the word demonic is somewhat because when we think of demons, we think of bat wings and. You know, witches like cutting shit. Because we watch way too many movies and we have a certain vi vision of what a demon is. Mm. But the demons in Vedic culture, they look good. They were smart like handsome. anything. You're any country, but he was handsome. <laughs> and super That's why I played him in the drama. I always ask me. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. And also super intelligent. They, they knew Vedic literature, but they just didn't follow it. Right. When we, when we read the 16th chapter of Bhagavad Gita and Prabhupada's conclusion about that whole chapter, what is the difference between a demon and a devata, mm. a sura and an asura? You remember the conclusion from 16th chapter of Bhagavad Gita? Um, that they, one follows the shastra and one, one doesn't. doesn't. That's the difference. Bam! <laughs> I'm two for two today. <laughs> So that is so when you look at a demon in terms of this context, and a sura yeah. is one whose life activities are not informed by the shastra, right? And certainly when it comes, it's like to, everyone. <laughs> so it's it's pretty far reaching. I think for those persons who have, a, especially for those who have a first party experience, I think for them this is the the point that's the most um, triggering. Like, listen, if you were to say it just like that, like we're all in a sura category then everyone will be down with that like okay cool it's yeah. like kind of fair and equal we all but usually what happens is like you're a demon and we're okay yeah even though we did just get caught with our head in the cookie jar just the other day we're still okay because we're normal yeah and you're not okay because you're not normal even if you didn't put your hand in the cookie jar mm. and you're still not normal because you have this particular condition and i think that's where a lot of persons with first party experience get kind of upset and be well like why the double standard in our community just be but still even if you want to kind of equalize the playing field which i don't think is a good approach if you're having a first party experience or second party experience try to create a social movement within iscon try to say it's all equal it's all really the same thing that's also in my view total bullshit <laughs> it's not really proper knowledge either hmm. um you could say at best maybe there's a spectrum of demonic behavior that goes on but it's not it's still not the same and looking at the statement in its own right as a source, someone whose life is not, whose act, life's activities is not informed by scripture. And not only that, it's informed by Rajagun, primarily. And one of the symptoms of Rajagun is Kama, just the, the, you know, like a desire, but in this case, just a desire for sex life. Now in Vedic culture, and this is my understanding, it can be corrected by those who are more learned than myself who may be watching this. But if you read Bhagavad Gita, when he talks about the cycle of Yagya, mm. right? There's God and from God comes the Vedas, from Vedas comes dharma and for every duty there are prescribed yagyas or sacrifices required to see to the successful fulfillment fulfillment of that duty only after that there is enjoyment so i i like to say it like this when i'm trying to communicate the subject matter in the best way i can without triggering hell of people that um that in vedic culture 
sex life, or not sex life is the epitome of enjoyment, but enjoyment in general should be preceded by and preceded by responsibility. That's the way I like to convey. Preceded by responsibility means marriage when it comes to the sex desire. Mm. And preceded by responsibility means children. As far as these old cultures are concerned, that's just the general understanding. So if you have the enjoyment part without the responsibility before or after, then you're called as an asura. That's a demonic activity. You may yourself not be that, you're a pure spirit soul, but you're acting as a demon because you don't do the responsible part before in the form of marriage, and you don't do the responsible part after. So when I look at a statement like this, and someone, and especially when I look at the culture of what's become identified as LGBT culture today, where it's all about the sex part, and not about the responsibility before, not about the responsibility after, it's demonic activity, for sure. And if anyone were to take an honest look at these communities today, and there may be different theories of why they've become that way, and I'm not getting into all that. Those theories may or may not be true. But as it stands today, that you can see it if you go to Pride Parade, which I've never, I've been one time and I was absolutely appalled. If you go to these sorts of things, you can see that the culture is, it's demonic. Um, you, you know, it would be considered very wrong to bring your child to a strip joint, you know, like 11, like suppose you go to Chandra turns 11 and you bring him to a strip joint. Oh my God, don't say that. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> Sorry. I'm worried about him. Oh yeah, I forgot he's about really handsome. <laughs> he's got anyway. So that's obviously would be just irresponsible behavior on Definitely, a, a good yeah. father and mother. But the same child, if you bring him to the private array, you're considered progressive. Really? And, yeah, oh, for the most, at least from the things that I've seen. Over but that's not. Is it the same as the strip club? You've never been to a private array, obviously. No, no, I haven't. <laughs> but I think I was walking around. by once. Uh, if you go to a private, you can see for yourself and many, I'm not the only one who shares this opinion. You can talk to many LGBT persons who can be, speak honestly about these things and right. not be so infatuated with their particular identity. Right. It's demonic activity. People walking around with their clothes off fully, really? practically having sex life in the open as an expression of their freedom and oh their God. normalness. And I was always just like, bro, if you want people to accept you as normal, you got to act normal. <laughs> it's not normal to walk around, you know. Anyway, so if you've ever been to a pride parade, you can see this sort of activity going on. Mm. And for me, what was the most astonishing thing about the one pride parade that I've been to is there's tons of children there. The parents take it. It's like, it's probably like going to the circus. You bring your kids and it's, oh my it's glorified. My dad used to take me to the circus. <laughs> so... If you could, so my point is that there's something to pull up a statement. It can't just be dismissed. If you're having a first party or second party um, view of these issues, it can't just be dismissed with Prabhupada saying in its own right. Like if this sentence was just a standalone sentence, for me, it still makes sense. That enjoyment should be preceded and proceeded by responsibility. I like that point. In Vedic culture, that means Dharma and Yajna before and Dharma and Yajna after. And if you just do the enjoyment part without this part before and after, that's a suric behavior. It's a behavior not informed by scripture. And therefore, for me, Prabhupada's statement stands in its own right. It doesn't stand in the, in the context of this being a comprehensive dealing with the subject matter of homosexuality. Right, yeah. It doesn't stand in terms of this section even talking about that whatsoever. It's talking about Visarga. At the same time, Prabhupada's statement, for me at least, I, when I read it, it's true. And that's a, that's a reality that one has to deal with. Okay, we can move to another subject matter, um, but I just wanted to say that um, 
for those who may be having a first party, first person experience, it doesn't mean this is giving us clarity about what we should do with that sort of psychology. Right. Other than to understand that there is this, if there's this tendency for enjoyment without responsibility, it's demonic. And yes, it's true. If you happen to be heterosexual and you just want to enjoy without the responsibility before and after, it's also demonic. This, there, but there's a difference there also. The difference being that at a certain point with that template, you can use your sex life for yagya and service to the humanity and service to the Supreme Lord. Where that may not be possible for, not may not be possible, is not possible for, of course, they're going to get into what we can adopt. No, that's a whole other subject matter that I right. don't even talk about. So then there needs to be, well, what do I do with this? Hmm. You, even if you want to call I don't mind calling it a demonic swabhava like for me it's not a big issue but I know some person may feel alienated to have that language attached to it so we can just say swabhava just in general what do you do with it like yes I do have this tendency for enjoyment as all souls this enjoyment doesn't really have a prescription for responsibility before and after at least in the scriptures so what do I what do I do with that and that for me is where a lot of the conversation around the subject matter may have to come up for when you're dealing with the devoted youth who are coming up, discovering this, like what responsibility do I take? Like I can't change the swabhava. Back to Kali's prayers, it's there. It's very difficult to give up. It's not going to just go away. Mm. Um, you can't pray the gay away, or all of this stuff is not going to work. So it's there. What do I? How do I deal with it in the most healthy way? I have my suggestions later, but that's the, that's really the question that I'm sure would be interesting for someone. Who can come to accept the veracity of the things that Prabhupada says on this subject matter. But at the same time, well, it is what it is. Yeah. So what do I do with that? That's really good. Um, two things. One is the housekeeping. Do you want more um, hot water in there? I'm good for now. Tulsa, can I have some more hot water, please? Thank you. Um, second was, so we've established, you know, where Prabhupada said that in, um, in the Bhagavatam. There's another place that should be brought up is his letters and so on yes so if okay my point here and there may be disagreement whatever but my point was that our shastras are silent on the issue by and large that's just an honest that's just what it is yeah um so having said that our our charya is not silent about the issue so this is another place where the devotees who are like milling us is saying like don't talk about this subject matter and so on I was like, unfortunately, our Acharya has talked about this subject matter. Mm. Not unfortunately, that was a poor choice of words, but he has talked about it. Yeah. <clears throat> so you have to deal with it. Prabhupada is the only Acharya that I know, maybe for the Bhakti Siddhanta also, who gave a lot of social commentary in his Bhagavatam. No other Acharya before him dealt with social issues whatsoever. He's the first to deal with that. Yeah. And so as his followers, we do have a responsibility to engage with Prabhupada's social commentary, to understand Prabhupada's perspective, and quite frankly, to represent his perspective on the issue, if we're representing ISKCON. And if you have some other idea, then you should also represent it as your idea, that just to be intellectually responsible. Mm. Like, this is what our Acharya says about this issue. And I have my own realizations or whatever. Just make, make that clear distinction. But if we're going to be part of ISKCON, Prabhupada's Prabhupada, part of Prabhupada's movement, we have the responsibility of representing his view on these things, like really trying to understand them, which is difficult for us because like I mentioned in the beginning of the podcast, we've been socialized in a very particular way yeah. that makes us very like, everything's okay, it's all about love and compassion, acceptance. And that, that 
narrative just doesn't really go along with what Prabhupada said about the issue. So that means we're going to have to work doubly hard to really try to understand Prabhupada's perspective, the logic that led him to that perspective. Mm. And then when we're giving classes, we're talking about it as a representative of Prabhupada's movement. Like, for example, if we're sitting on the Vyasa sign, to represent what Prabhupada said on that movement. Now, we can put in all the qualifiers and all that that we, we feel we need to, to make it digestible and all that. But make sure that we're representing his point. Yeah, thank you. So, Prabhupada has said a lot about this. I wouldn't say a lot, but he said... I mean, you can type it into Google and find... I found one document that, like that gather all the statements together in one spot about this. It took me a really long time to read it. It's like super long. You put it together? I didn't put it together. Oh, Some okay. other devotees did. You know there's that group Galva? Yeah, I... Have I you ever no. Have you ever interacted with anyone from no, there? No, uh, I haven't. Okay. Um, I know... I don't really know anyone from there. Um, right. There's one devotee I'm, in I'm, there. I know the devotee who started it. And yeah, I see yeah. Him comments here and there. I've I'm seen sure have him on. In this. Yeah, that would be like um, I, I'm kind of like exploring video um, conferencing. Okay. On any, anyway, okay. that's a side point. But yeah, I'd like to have that devotee on if he's. Yeah, I'm sure he might to. have a different perspective that he can lend to this. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, Parapada said a lot on this thing, and he's been very consistent so even if you want to think that the boys are like cherry picking statement yeah the thing is they can cherry pick from any place and it will practically be the same statement right. that's how consistent Prabhupada is on this particular issue <laughs> um what i found interesting about the Prabhupada's consistency on the issue is that he's mostly always used the word homosex homosex yeah which for me is the behavior you know like the sex part that's a certain behavior and I, I do make a distinction between homosexuality, again, the psychological condition, versus the behavior. Now, obviously, there's the, they're related. If you have a certain psychological conditioning, there's, certain, there's a certain psychological inevitability that leads to a certain type of behavior, for sure. At the same time, the two are different, and you can control your behaviors. Uh, and, and so therefore, when the lawyer say it's a choice, that's true when you're talking about the behaviors, but it's not true when you're talking about the attraction. That attraction is congenital. It, it comes with the type of body you get at the very beginning of life. And how do you know that? Well, you can take the word for persons having first-person experience. You can take their word for it. And you can use your common sense to say that if they could choose not to be attracted in that way, they probably would choose that because of the isolation it creates, the embarrassment that it creates, the shame that it creates. You can literally end up losing family members. Mm. I know really horrible stories of devotees who have committed suicide after telling their, their mom and their mom calling them demons and shit. And, and oh then my God. a devotee committing suicide. There are many horror stories like this. Well, I don't want to say many. I don't want to convey like it's like an epidemic or something. But right. there are quite a few stories like this that I'm aware of, yeah. having done zero research about it, like these sorts of stories. Yeah. So, um, <clears throat> so then that's a that's an issue. But the point is that there is a distinction between the sexuality, just the conditioning, yeah. which you have no control over, and the the actual behavior that you're you you can engage in. You can can control that. And um, I think that's where the distinction wasn't really made for Prabhupada. When I've read these sorts of topics in other literatures in the past, it doesn't seem that that distinction was very taken very seriously. Um, that you can have a certain psychological attraction that's different from the behavior. Mm. So for them, when they're talking about homosexuality, it's just the behavior part. And I think that kind of also speaks to the fact that when people bring up the subject matter, they're usually only preoccupied with the sex part. 
Like they don't care about the other parts of what a homosexual relationship might be. Mm. Not that they should care about it, by the way. But it's not like about like for them it's not about the love part or the companionship or for them it's just about the sex part. Mm. Which kinda in some way speaks to how it's really thought of and that they don't see the distinction. Unfortunately not unfortunately, there is an actual distinction where you you know, you're hanging out with the boys, playing basketball, playing sports or whatever you're doing. And then all of a sudden you hit puberty and mostly all your friends are getting attracted to the ladies, the cheerleaders in the squad or whatever. And you notice your attraction is going somewhere else. And I don't know how it works with females, but with males, we have a very clear compass that um, points us in a direction for our attraction. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Oh, man. Okay, you could delete that part out if you want to. I don't delete anything. I, I, this is an open thing, man. So, anyway, say what you got to say. So, the, it's clear. You yeah. Know, the yeah, attraction no, is clear. Yeah. Now, you can control your behavior, as I think many do try to do. Um, especially when you're a devotee, you will definitely try to. Not only are you dissimulating your attraction, but you're also making sure that you engage in behaviors that don't reveal yourself as it is. Mm. Your conditioning, as it were. Um, but there is a distinction there, and it seems to me, and I could be wrong about this, I'm not pro professing to be an authority or anything on this, but when Prabhupada talks about the subject matter in his letters, which are very consistent, his point is about stop this homosex. And cool, that makes sense to me too, because yeah. again, not only is sex life a problem, I would, you know, homosex is probably even more the case because it can't be used in Yagya. So sex life is a problem, nobody, nobody has a problem with that. So homosex is definitely a real problem, you know, and mm. that's something that you should stop. Um, problem is, um, I'm, I kind of got this um, swabhava. It's kind of like, it's just like sitting there. And mm. I am trying to hire a Christian, but it's like comfortably sitting there. That ain't really going anywhere. So what am I supposed to do with that? Yeah. And you can say, it's just stop it, but that's not a good strategy. That's, well, that's not going to work for the vast majority of people. For example, like I mentioned this earlier, Prabhupada says some very savage things about um, sex life and when he, about just the, the normal um, heterosexual format. Hold on to my dad. <laughs> hey, Bill. Hey, Bill. I'm doing a podcast right now. I'll call you back. Yeah, thanks. Hey, Bill. Oh my god. <laughs> so yeah. So the point is, um you Prabhupada said many heavy things and quite funny things. I mentioned it earlier about it's just a urinal, you're attracted to a urinal and and all the statements that can be proved is objectively true. Problem is I'm in Maya and it's yeah. a I'm attracted and you can't stop your attraction just by being told stop it. Yeah. Like, you can hear from Prabhupada directly. You've heard from Prabhupada directly many times. Stop this nonsense. Still, we're not stopping. <laughs> but somehow that's okay when it comes to the heterosexual template. That's like, it's, you're fine. Yeah. Even though we know you got your hand in the cookie jar, it's, it's, it's totally okay. Yeah. Um, so, in the same way as a person with that, with a heterosexual swabhava, can't just stop. So, also for the other guy with the homosexual swabhava, they're not going to be for the most part maybe may they may not be able to just stop so what's the strategy for them that that is really the question that i have what is the strategy for them i remember when i do you have an answer for that 
I have a suggestion. Okay. I don't call it as an asset per se. Okay. I remember when this came up with that same devotee in Chicago, it's a senior devotee. Yeah. Um, when I brought the subject matter up with them, he told me that, um, well, for the, for the homosexual sabava, you use a different language, he said the, the, the um, method for them is the elevator method. You know, Prabhupada speaks about the elevator versus the stair method in the Bhagavad Gita. Hmm. If you can go up by the elevator method versus the stairs, then you will take the elevator. That's just intelligence. Hmm. He said, so for them, there's the, the elevator method. And the context in which he was mentioned is that there is no Varashram prescription for them. Hmm. So they can take the elevator method. And I kind of shot back. I was like, um, the elevator method means bhakti yoga. And that's for everybody. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. You know, and the the staircase method in the context in which Prabhupada presents is like karma again, yoga. Mm. So bhakti is supposed to be for everyone. So I said that doesn't really provide any clarity. He said, well, there should be immediate transcendence for those with the homosexual swabhava. I was like, immediate transcendence. <laughs> like, da, 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 da. <laughs> take off the glass. <laughs> I was like, uh, I was immediate. like, bro, really? <laughs> I was like, I didn't say this, and I was definitely respectful. I try to be respectful to my seniors. I think it's a good practice. Yes, for sure. For maintaining your bhakti, but for sure. Uh, I was like, I was like, are you kidding me? Okay, some people might take it like no problem. We're gonna do that. But I'm like, how many people do you know can immediately transcend? Like immediately. That means like today one way, tomorrow the other way. Yeah. So I was like, that's just not even that's not even a reasonable suggestion. <laughs> that's, it's not even reasonable. It's, it's it's not even something that should be taken seriously. Yeah. Um. So given that I understand that not only is sex life a problem, homosex is definitely a problem. Perhaps arguably more so because it can't be used in yagya. I wouldn't. I would. That wouldn't disturb me if someone argued that way. But it's there. And what is the strategy I'm to accept with this? I don't know. There's obviously a clear strategy when you're when you have the heterosexual swabhava. You get married, some, and then you have sex only for children. <laughs> <laughs> Which I'm sure everyone is really you know doing that. They're really sticking it out, only having sex for children. Only for children. And if somehow or other they're magically not producing any children, even though they've been married for years and years and years and years. <laughs> So there's, but there's a clear, there's a clarity about the strategy you can take with that. Yeah. Um, and this is something I could get into later. I don't exactly believe in like, like there was this whole gay marriage thing and so on. I don't personally, I don't believe that's a, a good thing exactly. Um, for, I have my reasons for that. We can get into that later. Um, but obviously, if you have that sort of attraction, then you need a strategy. You need something to help tame it. One of the features of a marriage life, at least as I understand it traditionally, and I don't profess to be very learned in terms of what the marriage institution served for society traditionally, mm. but one of the understandings that I have of it is that it's helped tame the beast. Uh, particularly with the, the sexual defect in males is that they have a tendency for promiscuity. Of course, everyone today is now, it's all mixed up. It's a quite promiscuous culture. But the the sexual defect or males is a tendency for as they like to say spread their seed everywhere mm -hmm. um the the female sexual defect is and we're not describe this now because you can't really say any critique about women without being shut down is that they have a hypergamous nature which means they tend to always want to date or marry the alpha male 
Mm. So they'll be with any one male at any given time, but it has to be the alpha male. Mm. So they can throw out one person and get the, the next person who has more status, more fame, and so on. Uh, anyway, whether that's true or not, there'll be a lot of argument about that. Um, that we have our sexual defects. Males and females have their sexual defects. Right. And I understand the marriage institution, one of the functions that it serves is to help tame our, our defects in our sexuality. And so... I'm answering the question, do I have an answer to that? I don't have an answer. I have a suggestion that, oh, I have two suggestions. So I'm going to say my suggestion, my second suggestion really is that one can try out what they call as a partnership because technically speaking, healthy Grihasa relationship is largely um, platonic. If you're, if you're really, it is, yeah. if you're following it to the T, yeah. then it's largely platonic. You, you know, there's sex for children only. And after that, there's like, you know, reading Bible time together and going to party crumbs together and, and really being a, a, t a partnership for developing Krishna consciousness. Yes. So in principle, there is no reason why such a strategy couldn't be had within a, a partnership. One that's largely platonic or at least moving that direction. You may not be able to follow that in the beginning. As I imagine, I don't know, but as I imagine many heterosexual devotees probably have a hard time with just a platonic format of their uh, marriage in the beginning it's called monogamous as well right monogamous right monogamous right, right. but within monogamy also platonic because mono monogamy platonic, platonic yeah in in the sort of normal demonic culture <laughs> i just want to throw it in there is that you could have sex with your wife or your know, wife can have sex with her as many times as you want it doesn't matter doesn't matter that's how they view it but in our format it's a, li it's a lot different right um maybe in older western societies it was different also i don't i'm not so sure about that um so it's largely platonic monogamy and largely platonic so in a similar way i don't like to use the word monogamy in terms of the like a homosexual relationship because i think the word monogamous has uh, they have like very specific terms that relates to heterosexual relationship mm. um, just linguistically and historically so I don't want to exactly use that word but basically a partnership one person that you're having you know either a platonic relationship with or you're moving that direction trying to harness sex life and having a partnership for the purpose of the development of Christian consciousness now there's nothing within our philosophy to suggest that that would be a bad suggestion right um, it's probably as much an under coupon as any other relationship, like a blind, coupon, yeah. a blind well that you don't know what you're getting yourself into. Yeah. But um, that that's a suggestion. Otherwise, you can get married also to a woman. I don't think that's a. I don't know how sagacious that is because I know many devotees who've tried that strategy, and it ruined their lives and it ruined the lives of another entity, their wives, namely, and sometimes their children also. Mm. So I don't know if that's a safe strategy. Um, if you can come to understand that you are conditioned in a particular way and then there's a sort of psychological inevitability that can take place in the future that might be a dangerous strategy and of course this is for persons who have to get married uh or who realize that that might have to happen for your first suggestion i i heard something i read something online i have to find it but um it was like one of Prabhupada's servants who's who's now you know deceased uh upendra yes have you heard that i heard this so propat said so he was gay yeah. and and he was a propat servant i mean a lot of propats not a lot a number of propats leading disciples in during his time were gay right you know not dropping the names but they were some big names but yeah people don't names. know people don't know that and the way he propat dealt with it was you know 
different like the persona the acharya persona and the person right the pro that Prabhupada was so this kind of illustrates what he was as a person right that okay this devotee said you know i'm i'm i don't know what to do i'm gay and you know it's I, I, as I heard it, I can't stay in the Brahmachari ashram. Like, it's okay, just yeah. not... Right. I can't stay in the Brahmachari. Brahmachari means monk. He wasn't right. able to be a monk. So Prabhupada said, um, and this is paraphrasing, um, just live with one boy and uh, practice Krishna yeah, consciousness. Well, yeah, find one nice boy and chant Hare Krishna. Yeah. I, B- I, basically, be, right. it, it's saying uh, be in a monogamous uh, relationship as a gay person and practice bhakti practice right. krishna consciousness right. to elevate yourself right like any like anyone else would do right. like that's the same that's the same advice Prabhupada would give to someone who said i can't be a brahmachari but who's heterosexual right. okay find a nice lady right. and um marry her make her your wife and be in a m- marriage and right. practice krishna consciousness and chant Hare krishna right. i heard a similar story just yesterday from a Prabhupada disciple telling me how apparently there was a transgender um, devotee, Prabhupada disciple, and was kind of sometimes presenting as a man, sometimes presenting as a woman, and they wanted initiation. So this Prabhupada disciple told me just yesterday, actually, that Prabhupada said that um, choose one, you know, decide, like, choose one and stick to it, and I'll initiate you tomorrow. Now, oh my gosh, so really? yeah, this Prabhupada disciple was telling this story, which you know, and again, all these stories help to convey that there's Prabhupada's Acharya side, that the side that we hear in his, in the books, especially, yeah, and maybe in his room conversation, <laughs> now we're really hearing the Acharya, and then you have Prabhupada's like this persona is like more understanding, practical, practical, yeah, practical, um, accommodating, not in terms of like an ideology, like he's, you know, he's going to stick to his points when he's the Acharya. Right. My disciple is conditioned this way. I get it. And giving a certain sort of direction or guidance because of that. Yeah. So, I mean, this transgender one is like, that one is like super far out because it's, it's kind of, I don't want to say funny, like it's a laughable situation, but Prabhupada was like very practical. Just choose pra- one. Practical. Stick choose to one, it. stick to it. Now, the only problem with these stories yeah. is that you're not going to find them in folio anywhere. No, no, you won't. And that's, that, that's a difficult, when you, when you look up homosex and folio, boom, you find like all Prabhupada statements. You look up the story from Upinjur that we heard from some Prabhupada disciples, even if they're in good standing. The tendency for the third-party perspective is to dismiss that. Yes. And you've just made those stories up. Yeah. And a sort of incredulity and in accepting that Prabhupada could have such an understanding side. Mm. In other words, that the third-party perspective, I really represent Prabhupada, not only in terms of his acharyaship, but also in terms of his personality. And I know for a fact he would not be at all accepting of this and so on. And therefore, they become incredulous. Like, no way Prabhupada would be so really kind and understanding and um although i think we have plenty of stories to demonstrate that when Prabhupada was dealing with people personally he had a different persona not duplicitous but it was different mm. like when we hear about dr mishra they would fight and argue about mayavadi this is when Prabhupada first came to, right. into new york yeah fighting like anything probably they were called <coughs> call him fool and rascal i'm sure all these things would come up but then when he got sick Prabhupada was taking care making it nursing him back to hell yeah. saying that he's a very dear friend and you know this other side of Prabhupada, right. which is a side that people don't seem to want to well people by people i mean the third party perspective mm. doesn't really want to 
concede that there could be such an understanding when dealing with the Swababa. Of course, you know, the first party perspective, we would like to jump on those examples also yeah. and disregard what Prabhupada said on the other side. And so both parties tend to be a little bit unbalanced in there. I, I also want to make it clear on the other hand that, that it's not that there's no place for, there that all the third party people are speaking in the way like that, oh, there's no place for them and this right. and that. There are gurus there are right. devotees senior devotees right. who are able to accommodate for sure lgbt yeah. devotees and people and right. people are happy with under their shelter etc right. so i think you know there there is a place there is um progressive and 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 things going on to to accommodate but i would say the that the majority uh, conclusion or the, not the conclusion the majority is that it's not talked about very much right i i would 100 percent agree with you i would even say and i tried to make this clear that i don't even mean to convey that the third party perspective is wrong oh yeah i know that yeah yeah, yeah yeah right but um you said that yeah yeah so i'm sure there are people with third party perspectives that are very accommodating i also suspect that their ability to be accommodating has to happen on a one-to-one -one basis it would be very hard or at least at the present point impossible to make make a public statement about it yeah, yeah. because of how surcharged these sort of social topics are yeah. in its kind in the world today and so on and i, I kind of see that's that's what a guru is there for you know nowadays the guruship is to be done and this is a totally another topic but the way we kind of practice the guru just have a relationship in its kind is like a public affair yeah um, which I, I guess has its benefits. I can't really think of any right off the top of my head, but I guess it has its benefits, but it, I think it also has its problems. It's Wait, like what? Like what? Problems? Like the guru not... What do you mean public affair? Like you get initiation, initiation in public? In public, yeah. yeah, yeah. And the guru is having to um, oblige her, for example, oblige her disciples to chant a certain number of rounds. Yeah. Why can't the guru have the liberty? And I, this is just this is just an abstract philosophical question. I'm not trying to start a social movement or say anything like that. I'm just saying. You might. Why doesn't the guru have the liberty? I always I, I used to like to say this a lot. Why doesn't the guru have the liberty to be guru? Mm. And the guru means that they have the right, literally over their disciple if the disciple is really a shisha shisha means one who is prepared to be disciplined right. so they have the right over their disciple to give the guidance they deem fit for the progress of that individual yeah, a specific person at that time but no you have to there's a, a uniform cookie cutter cookie cutter format yeah. and again i we're, we're part of an institution there's a there's a history that makes the institution want to move in a certain way when it comes to these sorts of sensitive topics like gurus and their the level of power that they have over their disciples and so on. I get that, but as a general philosophical point, the guru should have the ability to be guru with his disciple. And with an issue like this, to give individual guidance, like, okay, do like this, do like that, do like that. Yeah. Understanding the disciple, the disciple is taking shelter and giving individual. And I suspect this probably happens, not in the public. Um, yes, yes. And I, I think so as well. And back doors. And I think that's probably the hard part for persons having a first person experience that there isn't any public, there, you don't hear this side of the situation publicly, mm. but you do hear a lot of the other side publicly, the yeah. disparaging, and then it just creates the feeling of isolation and being just like an alien, a freak, and so on. And that's the part that's, you know, that's difficult. And I obviously certainly get that. Um, what to do. It's kind of the, the, the hand that one has been dealt this life.
Yeah. Why don't you agree with um, gay marriage? Again, because I um, just as a principal, I, I I haven't deeply researched it, but I suspect that most of our youth has not researched what was the purpose of the marriage institution. Because of watching way too many movies and too many YouTube web series, you know, crap. All of these things helped. Again, they helped to socialize us in a particular way. And one of the ways that this whole marriage topic, I think the way we've been socialized to think about it is that it was about love. That marriage was primarily about the love that you felt for another person. So when it comes to discussing like something like gay marriage, for at least a lot of our youth, when we think about it, it's really about the love that you feel for another person. Yeah. And so if you love this person, then what's the problem? Yeah. But I don't understand older traditions viewed love as at least of paramount importance in deciding a relationship. It was more of a duty to the society and ultimately a duty to God. So with the so I like to articulate it as you have two very different paradigms that view love and dharma in an inverse position. Mm. So in the modern paradigm, love is at the top and duties fall as a secondary thing that kind of follows the love. But in the older societies, it's inverted or reversed where dharma is at the top and their affection comes out of that, out of the dharma sacrifice that you make for the other party. Yeah. I don't know. I have a really mundane example of this, but... Um, kind of like arranged marriage? Yeah. Arranged marriage will fall into this category also. Yeah, but tell me, your, tell us, tell me yours. No, it's a silly example, but I think it's a good one. Um, okay. I don't know if you ever saw... Um, ooh, this is kind of embarrassing. Um, what is that movie called? Hunger Games. Oh, I love Hunger Games. <laughs> oh, my <God. laughs> oh, my God. What's her name? Uh, I forgot her name. But, uh, what's the actress name? Lawrence. Yeah, Jennifer, Jennifer Lawrence. Lawrence. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, I, nice. I really liked... I really liked... That's one of the only movies that I've seen more than one time because I thought it was such a good She's movie. She's great. She's a great actress. <clears throat> But what I like about that movie is the, the how the relationship between her and Peta, 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 Peta yeah. how their relationship developed. So yeah. she didn't, really, she wasn't really into him in the yes. first one. Yes, yes, yes. And, and this, by the second one, she like falls in love with him. Yeah. But because they were fighting to keep each other alive. Yeah. And it's interesting because she she kind of has some sort of romantic relationship with this other guy. Yeah, that dude, the, Gail or whatever his name was. Right. Um, so she kind of was in, kind of into him. Yeah. But it wasn't like very deep. And she wasn't into pizza at all. But then when they, in the second one, when they had to go back to the Hunger Games unfairly because yeah. this whole politics was made. Yeah. And her whole concern was about Pizza. Like, he, he was always looking out for her. Yes. And then when it got to the actual, they were in the game. And I think he, there's this one scene where he hits the force field and he almost has a heart attack and die. Yeah. And one of their um, allies comes and rescues him and then she like it's very clear that she's like really into him now yeah she's feeling like how could she live without him and right. later on in the second one she tells him that and and then she like ends up actually falling in love with him in, in the third and fourth one and i thought that was like a more realistic picture of a, a romantic relationship it's not totally realistic because of the tonger games but yeah <laughs> but in terms of that their relationship was based on kind of making a sacrifice for each other and out of that sacrifice was born this genuine kind of very profound affection yes versus these other sort of stuff that we see which is a general thing that we see is where characters like they fall in love it's like this epic moment where the leaves are falling that slow music comes in just at the right time yeah to create that experience like wow th this is epic they really really love each other yeah and then by the next season they're breaking up and hooking up with someone else yeah 
and then the third season they're they're breaking up with that one and hooking up with someone else yeah so love is i consider like a very important thing in our modern thing modern culture where i don't think it had the same level of esteem in older cultures and older mm. culture was about sacrifice and duty and then out of that you develop genuine affection for the person so what i understand marriage institution to fall in this older paradigm mm. and i think in our modern time because we've been socialized in a particular way we don't really appreciate or really frankly understand the function of marriage in terms of its function in relationship to society and to god we just really think it's about love because we've watched way too many movies and literally I'm, that's really the basis of it we've watched way too many movies and we've never talked about or really heard about marriage being anything other than something about love mm. and therefore when you think only about love then yeah you love whoever you love so if someone loves their partner if a gay person loves their partner then yeah, nothing can marry it's about love but in other societies i don't think that would would have fl that's not going to fly because it wasn't about love it wasn't about no one gives a damn about who you love we want to know i think and this is intuitive because i haven't studied about marriage and i suspect people who have strong feelings about this who may be hearing what i'm saying they also haven't studied about it so don't even try to you know front like you looked into it real deeply or anything <laughs> Like, don't even try to front, you know, we're, but just, this is intuitive based on my understanding from reading Gita and Bhagavatam. Yeah. Can I have a granola bar? Yeah. <laughs> Please. I'm really hungry. So you have the marriage institution is really primarily about, I feel, I kind of understand to be primarily about children. Right. Because a society, why would a society care about if you're getting married or not? Because they want you to produce children that can continue the society and the next generation yeah so they're primarily interested in having children why would they be concerned about marriage because i guess the understanding would be within marriage institution you can produce a healthy a healthy child now we're going to have a really hard time presenting that argument today because families are just so you know so jacked up mm. that you may have a hard time presenting this as an argument but children grow up in the health the most healthy way when there are two parents in the house and i think that two of a mother and a father they grow up in the most healthy way and that way you guarantee that you're producing good children for the continuation of your society so a society would not care about who you love they care about your contribution to the society to its continuation in the form of children and their marriage to ensure that the children are growing up healthy i'm sure it's, there are more factors there there are like the legal factors which i think people would be preoccupied with in modern times there are all these legal things that I don't, but i'm talking about just like basic principles mm. that i view marriage as being for children and for the continuation of oh uh, <laughs> wait do you want one no no i'm good sure i have some more tea though sure. <laughs> and so i i'm not i don't want to say i'm against gay marriage i say i i just don't see it as serving the actual purpose of the marriage institution as i understand it now obviously someone mm. may want to edify me on what is the actual purpose of marriage and try to convince me that marriage is about you know it really is about love and not about Tulsi was saying the law stuff as well. Yeah, like so legal stuff. Legal. Like, yeah. If you see, there be many like sob stories on. You can find them on YouTube, I'm sure, where like a gay couple, you know, one of the couples gets into an accident and they go to the hospital and they're not allowed to enter the hospital because they're not family. Mm. And then if that one of the if that person dies, then all the money just goes back to their family, doesn't go to their partner right. because you know there's a sort of legal um element to marriage institution itself and so i guess in modern times when they when they're fighting for marriage then they're interested in all these factors also like kind of the legal factors 
which is that's kind of another thing for, for me that's not really here or there i'm looking at it i'm trying to look at it at a more principle-based level i'm trying to understand the principle hmm. and just frankly speaking like if i were to ask you even what is the purpose of the marriage institution how do you even understand it i mean or do you think that you've understood it deeply or have a deep understanding of its function um definitely my idea was to produce children mm. um but also i can hear the the showing of the things oh, sorry <laughs> i'm sure people listen to them um what was the question again how do you understand the marriage institution how do i understand it yeah like like what is the purpose of the marriage institution well it's because i'm not meant to be a brahmachari mm -hmm. i'm not meant to be a monk mm -hmm. so and and wh how i've <clears throat> been raised by my parents who have been married for 40 plus years yeah was that's what you do you you get married and okay, so it's you, not very deep <laughs> No, it's not very that's deep. All I want I'm not a very deep yeah, person. No, no, you are a very deep person. <laughs> I'm just saying, we've been. I my f feeling about it is that we've been socialized in a particular way mm. that we don't really have a deep understanding of what the function of these institutions were in all yeah. cultures. I would agree, yeah. And therefore, we just take it for granted that it's about hey, Mikhail is outside. <laughs> we take it for granted that it's about love. And it's about, you know, these sort of what I view as more superficial elements. Yeah. Uh, and um, we don't really have a deep understanding of that. And we, and therefore, we feel that we need to change the way marriage institution is. It shouldn't be about these things. And we want to change it without actually understanding why it was there in the first place and what role does it really serve. I think it serves more than just having children. There are probably, there are a lot more things to the marriage institution and how it helps maintain a healthy social integrity mm. that we just have no awareness of because it's not really taught to us and whatever we really understand about is coming from movies so we're not very deep mm. um what i'm what even when i'm presenting it's not a very deep understanding of the institution it's more of an intuitive understanding of the institution based right. on reading the bhagavatam and, and gita and so on and therefore i wouldn't i wouldn't i don't see how the gay marriage would fall into that right and and so i can't say i agree with that but as far as a strategy is concerned with dealing with Deswabhava, yeah, a partnership, you know, mm -hmm. harness the, your sex drive, um, moving towards a more platonic relationship for the purpose of developing Christian consciousness. Mm. Like, obviously you develop bhakti by bhakti. <clears throat> Bhaktiya sanjataya bhaktiya vibrat utpulu kamtanum, that you, from bhakti, bhakti comes. Mm. So you don't develop bhakti just by following religious principles. Uh, religious principles is like, just by following the four regular principles, you develop bhakti. Mm. No, you develop bhakti by performing the angas of bhakti. Right. And you may have so many conditions that are defects of your swabhava that are there. The prescription is still going to be exactly the same. The prescription is develop bhakti by performing the angas of bhakti. Now you figure out the strategy you need to take to help harness your nature so that it doesn't distract from your application of the angas of bhakti. And then as you're advancing, as you attain higher stages of bhakti from anarshanivriti, nishta, and so on, right. then naturally the defects of your swabhava will go away and your absorption will, will come increasingly on Krishna. That's a strategy that's for everybody. And that's something that really, um, that's the beauty of the, the message of bhakti, it's universality. Yeah. And the part that we probably would want to communicate, if we're, well, at least if we're communicating that there's a house 
Prabhupada has a house that everyone can live in. Yeah. So what is that house? That house is that spiritual conception, that universality of bhakti. Perform bhakti to the Supreme Lord. You can, okay, you're a demon. You can also do bhakti. You're a sadhu. You can also do bhakti. Hmm. You're a freaking elephant. You can also do bhakti. Yeah. Right? There are so many verses. Bhakti atutosha bhagavan gajayutabhaya. Krishna is satisfied by bhakti. And the example, gajayutabhaya, an elephant, mm. has performed bhakti. Even Bharat Maharaj, when he was in the body of a deer. Right. Um, you may not remember this. I certainly remember when, until I was reading the commentary. But he began chanting the holy name of Krishna in a deer body. Wow. Because of the some scars of his life of bhakti previously. So a dare can do bhakti, and there are many statements like this in the Bhagavatam that even the birds and the beasts, um, Tiryag, I can't remember the Sanskrit, even the birds and beasts, they can also do this bhakti. Mm. So that's, of course, the universality of bhakti. So you may be conditioned that way or this way. And that's probably the message we want to offer. And then when we're talking about strategies for dealing with Swabhavas, a strategy that emphasizes the absorption in bhakti and the increasing absorption in, in bhajan. What is that verse? Um, <laughs> What's the verse? Bhakti Paresho Nubhava Vrakti Ranyatrasya Yeah, I love that I love that verse I love that verse That's one of my favorite verses But only the first line It's a very powerful verse Prabhupada is finally quoting the first line also And the commentary comes in that verse Which is very nice Yeah Just like if you take a little grain Because the verse says Just you get Bhakti Paresha Anubhava, realization of God and detachment from matter, mm. in the same way that you get um, nourishment, satisfaction, Faction, and freedom from freedom hunger, from hunger yeah. for every bite that you eat. So Sri Vishnu offers a very simple commentary mm. that if you take a little grain, then you get a little mm -hmm. nourishment, a little satisfaction, and a little freedom from hunger. Mm. And if you take full grain, yeah. then you get full nourishment, full satisfaction. And complete freedom from hunger. Of course, it says this is a defect of the analogy because you never give up the hunger for more and more bhakti. Yes. So that's a defect in the analogy. Mm. So the part, the point is that you have to increase your bhajan to deal with whatever defects you have in your swabhava mm. or upadi. And that's a universal message. And everyone can get on board that message. You know, take shelter of more and more bhakti. And whatever defect is there that's causing the obstacle to your attainment of higher levels of bhakti will be destroyed by the performance of bhakti. But this sort of message that where it's like you have to give up your this sort of nature first before you can i don't think anyone actually does say it like that but it kind of communicates this idea that unless you're like this first then you're not going to really be able to grow healthy do people say i don't know if anyone says that they don't say it directly like that but they can they communicate that that's like a that's a complete philosophical well, flaw isn't it bro we in iskhan like we're not we're not foreign to philosophical flaws being true, true 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 not trying to be shady or anything but we're not it's not a foreign thing living mm -hmm. in our family so anyway if they don't do it intentionally it happens inadvertently that you communicate somehow you communicate this idea that you know perfection bhakti is predicated on fixing the defects of your swabhava like almost as if independently mm. whereas our message is not no by increasing your as bhajan. you are come as you are come as you are and take shelter of krishna and mm -hmm. increase your bhajan and that is the that is the categorical imperative so using this language yeah for everybody no matter what position you're in and kind of if we would emphasize that it would be easier to uh, well, then we're if we emphasize that we convey the universal message of devotion quite effectively 
But when it comes to these sort of social issues, we tend to get too much in the first, second, or third party perspectives without looking at the Turiya, without looking really at the transcendental perspective that can help kind of reconcile all these sorts of things. Do you think it's important that Iskan makes any official statement? But now that I'm talking to you, I feel yeah. like it's not that important. Yeah, yeah. You know why? Why? Because if if we're if we're just going to be about following Krishna consciousness and elevating our consciousness, yes. all these other things like these de designations, they don't they don't really mean they don't have anything to do with. Right. I guess it, where where it becomes tricky is when people want to serve, and some people are not like uh, when it comes to like. Um, like what you were asking that senior devotee, you know, right. can they be can they be initiated? Can they go on the altar? Can yeah. they do service? This and that. Right. I guess it does have. I guess it is important. I yeah. I can't. I personally can't say conclusively if it's important. Um, I don't know how I really feel about that, but I do feel that if our leaders, especially, are of course our GBC persons and temple presidents and you know, preachers and if they really understand the tattoo of Krishna consciousness, it may not be such a big defect that we haven't made a personal statement about it. Because people coming into our communities will be feeling and understanding Bhakti's universality, mm. Bhakti's applicability no matter what situation that I'm in. Mm. That that won't even be a concern for them. Yeah. The only thing is that like I said, it does because it comes up periodically in Prabhupada's um purpose or else you know, someone's asking a question because they're watching a lot of YouTube videos. And so they're, well, what do you think about this? Or what did you think about that? And so if our devotees aren't really deeply absorbed in the Shastra and trying to really give a Shastra expand to dealing with these sorts of things, yeah. then you might end up conveying either something that's completely, <clears throat> quote unquote, inclusive, like artificially inclusive, yeah. in the name of being compassionate and loving and all that. Or you do you end up saying something that's very alienating in the name of representing pure Christian conscious Siddhanta, but I'll just say you need to increase your budget. All upadis are problematic. Some upadis may be more problematic than other upadis um, in terms of your practical life. I don't yeah. think you can discount that, you know. And I wouldn't. For me, if like someone said, "Well, this is more demonic than that," I'm like, "Yeah, but it's there. So now, what do I do with it?" Yeah. Increase your bhajan. If our devotees are very much absorbed in the siddhanta of Krishna consciousness, yeah. then I don't think the need becomes that important. Especially because although we have a sort of, it's kind of, as I, I guess, understand, it's becoming a lot centralized, like a GBC, and they have laws that, but basically every temple more or less has a lot of autonomy. Oh, of course. In terms of what they're doing, of course. Money and so on. Yeah. So if people were coming into our communities where the leaders really understand the message and they live it, in terms of how they interact with people, then it won't be that much of a necessity because people anyway feel loved, they feel cared about. Yeah. It's not going to even be a big deal for them. But if they have to endure communities where you're like being demoral, this like demoralizing rhetoric is being told in the name of pure Christian conscious Siddhanta, hmm. where the Christian conscious conclusion is not at all discussed, it's just hmm. a sort of social perspective that may have its truth to it also. Hmm. I don't want to discount that. But then you just alienate some people and they go away. They feel like, you know, well, there's no place for me here. So let me go to the material world, which happens to a lot of people, frankly speaking. At least it's unfortunate. I, know. I, know. I think that's really comprehensive, really great, know, yeah. really awesome, really awesome stuff. Um, again, if people want to find you on uh, social media and. Yeah, I'm at Urban Sage Deliberates. That's my Instagram. 
Um, I have a Facebook, Jai Jagannath Das. There's probably a lot of those in there. Yeah. But I spell it with two capital J's and Jai Jagannath right next to each other. Okay, no space in between. Yeah, but I'm probably going to shut down my Facebook soon. Why? Because I'm following your example. <laughs> yeah, I've been... But um, also, I'm going to... I want to open up like an Urban Sage of Liberates Facebook page. Oh, that's good. Yeah. I'm, I'm just really wanting to kind of retract from technology. I view technology as extremely problematic for the growth of Christian consciousness, like a healthy Christian consciousness. Definitely. I, I agree with that. I go, I go, on, I go on Tulsi's now and then <laughs> to, to um, like if someone's like, oh my God, did you see that thread? And I was like, oh, which, which thread? Uh, make sure he's Tulsi friends with everything. <laughs> I get made fun of it for. Anyways, I don't care though. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not coming back. I'm, life has been so busy, and to add Facebook to it is just like another not needed thing. Yeah. You know, kind of like. I've started to get into social media a little bit more, producing hopefully what I view as meaningful content. And um, do you have a YouTube page? I have, yeah, I have a YouTube page, Urban Stage Deliberates also, but okay. I haven't really done anything on it yet. You should, I give my Bhagavad Gita classes on there. Yeah. I post them on there that I give at the Bhakti Center. Yeah. But I'm, 2019 is the year of putting out YouTube content. That's good. My good. You should do it, man. Dude, you should start podcasting. Yeah. And I'm getting excited think, to try it. 2019 is going to be the year for this for sure. Awesome. That's one of my resolutions for the year. I think a lot of devotees appreciate what you're saying, Old, the older devotees and, and yeah. young devotees. I hope so and if you don't you know don't come after me <laughs> listen let's all be nice okay we're just trying to do the best we can that's right to you know we're not trying to attack anyone and i think this was a great conversation about it um i want to do another one for um book edits yeah i really don't know if i'm the one for that one why um just because i haven't your body language just changed i know because <laughs> i'm like all nervous and stuff now i no, it, it it just comes after um watching that video that um right so i saw the one that you sent me i thought the points that were made are very good yeah it seems it would be really cool if we could get the two contending parties on here to discuss it that would be cool maybe i should do that somehow that would and they're just like more informed about the issues and for some for those who don't know the issue is srila Prabhupada's books have been edited um uh not just uh, grammar and spelling and whatnot but actually things have been omitted and changed and stuff and i always thought of myself on the side of you know those devotees know what they're doing and yeah, there's you know it's it's good but a, a new video came across um of a of a of a uh, discussion between uh two Prabhupada disciples one who was involved in that whole thing and and he was saying that's not the case and there needs to be something more scholarly maybe footnotes or whatnot but don't change the content content to feel yeah. to make it that Prabhupada's being consistent with it, its thoughts and all yeah. that stuff and i was just like i did a complete 180 man i was yeah. just like 1972 keith man <laughs> oh my god <laughs> <laughs> well for me with that sort of subject matter i'm not fully informed i thought those points were very good yeah considering um for me i think when devotees get into like the the part the purity of what Prabhupada said has been completely obscured right, right. or obfuscated by the book changes mm. and therefore you know at th there was a statement made in that video also where one 
disciple probably said, I don't, I just hear the lectures now. I don't even read the books because they've been like so much changed. Yeah, I don't know about that. So, exactly. For me, I've always thought the devotees who were like for the 1972, they were like kind of super fanatic on that, as if the purity of the message is somehow completely obscure and can, can make no devotees or. And it was even brought up, well, they're still making so many devotees with the books. And that one Prabhupada disciple was like, well, if you look at the quality of devotee, I was like, oh, <laughs> all in, all Hindus or something. I think that's what he said. Uh, yeah, well, he was here to type, but he was also just saying generally, if you look at the quality of devotee that's coming, it's not very, very good. And I was like, boy, you're lucky I'm trying to practice Vaishnavism. <laughs> anyway i'll link yeah. that video i'll link that video to this um but i i like the video I, honestly yeah i thought it was a great video also i think it would be just in the future if we if i come back and have more it'd be i really want to get into the topics of i really want to talk about men's issues okay yeah yeah right I remember specifically i like to open up the topic about pornography right which is a huge problem right uh, amongst the world today of men in general but yeah. amongst our devotee constituency so that would be something i could i've been doing a lot of research on and really preoccupied with in terms of the men's sanghas that i'm creating in the bhakti center super so i would have more confidence in sharing something awesome. in that category jay jagannath prabhu thank you very much appreciate it get in contact with jay jagannath, jay jagannath prabhu he's a great person great devotee amazing uh soul why are you laughing? Because I'm acting a fool. Uh, <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, Urban Sage deliberates on Instagram and Jay Jagannath Das on Facebook. Um, and uh, we'll 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 uh, do this again. Gore Chandra's on the other side here, uh, <laughs> laughing. Okay, thanks everyone. Have a good day.